Weirdo Bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hi, genre junkies. This is Sandra. And this is Scott. And welcome to another Halloween episode. It's another horror novel for the horror month for two spooky horror fans. Yay! And all you spooky little genre junkies out there. So welcome back. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's, um depressingly hot here in California where we are and it was nice because it felt like fall for a while and it kind of does in the evenings but it's been like in the high 80s and it's nonsense it's it's nonsense it's too warm and now they're talking about turning off our power again so we're looking forward to that yeah it's just it's just a whole thing you guys but um we're trying to not let that get us down we're lighting our our seasonal candles we're putting out our ghostly decorations it's it's fine it's fine fine it's fine (laughs) so tonight we are going to be talking about unbury carol a novel by josh mallerman but before we get into that we'll have our little roundtable discussion uh scott what things have you been taking in and experiencing we went and saw the evil dead on the big screen yes the original evil dead it was actually the first time i'd seen the first one i've seen the second one i'm pretty sure and i've definitely seen army army of darkness a million times but this is the first time i really saw that that terribly corny but actually scary movie it's very effective yeah no it was really fun to see it on the big screen and the sound was redone and it was actually like a revamped soundtrack as well like it it was like it was a whole thing it was really loud yeah and we went and saw that uh for the cult show series which is akin to the cult show rocks that uh one of the other podcasts uh slash youtube shoes shoes youtube shows that i do so don't forget to you know look me up and to find that and of course i also have the spooky slumber party and that's going just amazingly i have been re-watching some horror movies that i've seen before uh one of them was the hell house llc franchise and i recently re-watched the first one uh because i remembered how it ended but i didn't remember anything in it and it's good it's like it's found footage which i know isn't for everybody i kind of like found footage it really doesn't bother me and sometimes i really really like it and this one has um it's kind of like slow burnish which i love and it's got a lot of like people will be talking or there's something that's not the main focus of the shot but there's like something creepy behind them and it's just real and it's not a high budget film which i often really like so um yeah so i'm getting ready to watch the second one which again i've seen before and then the third one which is new so that is pretty exciting i'm third all- one's a shutter exclusive right i believe so yes and then we've got some other scary shows to catch up on uh i started watching a show though that's on cbs called evil have you guys heard of this show it looks really interesting i don't know if it's really my my alley i think it might scare scott too much but thus far i'm really enjoying it and of course i don't watch anything live because i can't manage to do that but i'm like recording and like storing up the episodes and it's like about this lady that's a skeptic it gives me like x-files vibes right which i love so she's a skeptic and she's a forensic psychologist and she's teaming up with this guy who is a um I don't know what you want to call it exactly 
basically, he's like an assessor for the Vatican. And then there's another dude on their team that does like the tech stuff. And they basically go out on these calls for the Vatican to see if something is demonic possession or a miracle or something else that the Vatican should throw its weight and money presumably behind. <laughs> and it's for like a, a network TV show. I'm really digging it. And like I said, those X-Files vibes. I love X-Files so much. So wherever I can get that, I, you know, I'm like, give give it to me. I need, I need a fix. Does it have a monster of the week sort of vibe? You know, mm, kind of. I think it's, it's overall plot is going to be pretty easy for people to follow, though. Unlike a lot of shows like X-Files and other ones that I've loved, where the big overarching, like, plots kind of lose people. I think this one's going to be a lot easier for people to keep up with. Okay, so now that all that good stuff is out of the way... Let's talk a little bit about this here book. So you may have remembered, we've talked about a Josh Malaman book before on this podcast with Amy from The Bloodlust, who we love. Bird Box. Bird Box. And we love Bird Box. And this is not at all like Bird Box. <laughs> not even a little bit. We actually own, I think, every book Josh Mallerman has published, but we haven't read them all. So we're slowly making our way through our Josh Mallerman collection. And I was beyond thrilled to get to this book because I've been like waiting for it. I've been jonesing for it to get my little hands on it. So without further ado, let me just tell you a little bit about the plot. Carol Evers is a woman with a dark secret. She has died many times, but her many deaths are not final. They are comas, a waking slumber indistinguishable from death, each lasting days. Only two people know of Carol's eerie condition. One is her husband Dwight, who married Carol for her fortune, and when she lapses into another coma, plots to seize it by proclaiming her dead and quickly burying her alive. The other is her lost love, the infamous outlaw James Moxie. When word of Carol's dreadful fate reaches him, Moxie rides the trail again to save his beloved from an early, unnatural grave. And all the while, awake and aware, Carol fights to free herself from the gripping darkness that binds her, summoning her own fierce will to survive. I'm going to kind of cut it off. There's a little bit more to the description, but I, th I think that's all you need to know. I think it's a pretty good pretty good place to cut it. I think it's a really good description, uh, yeah. really good uh, teaser for the book. So this is a slow burn Western horror. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, all of those things are very, very appealing to me. <laughs> very, very appealing to me. So I know we kind of just had a little Southern Gothic situation with uh, Minor Prophets. This is not Southern Gothic. This is like Western. This is like, well, like the, Old Western. Yeah, yeah. This is like the American Old West. And it's kind of a reimagined West. It's not our West, but because there's some differences. Um, like there's been female presidents and there's a lot more kind of female like equality kind of in this Western yeah. world. And I think part of that's probably because they've had female presidents. And the West is kind of like this one strip of towns that are all connected by the trail, the trail. which is in caps, the yes. trail, which I love stuff like that. And how often do you get horror books with a map in the front? Not often enough. Not often enough. And it just it sets you up to, to kind of get that fantasy feel of it right from the beginning, too. Yeah. And uh, 
This is a horror that works on a few different levels, psychological, um, spiritual, emotional, a little supernatural. And of course, uh, the primal fear of most living things, which is being buried alive. So Scott, what was your experience with this book? Well, or do you want me to go first? I I think I want you you to go first. Okay. Yeah. So for me, this book was page turner bordering on obsession. Um, I think that this will be one that when it sits with me for a little bit longer, it will bloom into obsession. I immediately when I closed the book, I just wanted to pick it up and read it again from the beginning. I really, okay, you know what? Let's just let's just shove it over the line and let's just call it obsession because I know it's gonna get there. So let's just say it is. Um, I love his writing. Uh, I loved it in Bird Box. And this writing is, it's still him, but it's not him. He has some of the most beautiful, grotesque turns of phrase in this book that he uses. And it just made my heart sing. And I love the simplicity of the horror in this book. Uh, I loved the characters. I loved just, I don't know, the weird way in which this world operates around the trail. And, you know, there's bad men and women out on the trail, but there's also worse things on the trail, they like to say. And then, of course, in the towns, there's bad people. Um, There's a lot of comparisons on the back of the book. And I know Scott's going to say one of them. But some of the names people throw out when they're talking about this is Cormac McCarthy, Flannery O'Connor, and I, I love that. I, I, I'm already like those two are like really perfect comparisons, and the other two. Well, the other two, I, I'm going to get into to my. Uh, well, because I want to say something my, about yeah, it too. I, I have some similarities for this book, and some of them you will not expect. Well, can I at least say the ones that we both know we agree on? Uh, I'm assuming Poe and Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, especially Edgar Allan Poe. This is basically an Edgar Allan Poe story set in the West, and that is blurbed on the back, and it's like super accurate. And we all know I love Edgar Allan Poe. There's definitely parts of it that are very Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, my experience, um, I had a little bit difficulty really pegging it. Part of it's mm-hmm. because half of it I listened to it on, on audiobook and yeah. half of it I actually read it. By the way, the audiobook is narrated by Dan John Miller. Yeah. And he does an incredible job. Oh, really? Since I love this so much, yeah. I should probably do it on audio at some point too. Yeah, he does a really good job with the voices and with the the tension of the story. I yeah. really enjoyed his reading of it. Okay. Um I this doesn't say anything of the writing of the book, but I I I would be happy to read the whole book in audiobook format um because of his narration. That's but good. I'm gonna give it a page turner. Yay! The book does trudge along. It is it's a slow burn. burn. Yeah. Um, but it varies from chapter to chapter. Yeah. When you're talking about the writing styles, you have a you have a story that's out of a Poe novel. Yeah. You have a hero that comes out of the dark tower while you have a villain who is written by Carl Hyacin. Oh, yeah, and you and Scott loves Carl Hyacin for those who don't know. I've not read his work. I mean, there's so I mean, I'm not saying that he got inspiration from Carl Hyacin, but the, but the, the the main like the villain of the book absolutely would fit in in one of his stories. He's crazy and scary, weird and kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so every chapter kind of feels like it's being it almost feels like it's written or created by a different author. The, yeah. the, the mindsets of the character are so different that it keeps it really fresh and interesting. And ultimately, I wanted to know 
know what would happen and how it would happen. And so that really kept me very interested in it. So um, I have to give it Paige Turner for that reason. Uh, There's some, like I said, there's some great feminist stuff happening in this book. And we're going to talk about that more in the spoiler section. Uh, But Carol is a really, really great female feminist character. Um, It's not all about James Moxie out on the trail. Like there's definitely like it kind of alternates perspective back and forth between them and a couple different characters, bad guys, basically. Uh, Can we just talk about this book for a minute, though? It is um, a really pretty book. The hardcover edition we have. It's kind of this like orangey red vermilion color. It's got a really cool like kind of photograph thing where there's like a lady covering her face there's what i assume are owl flies these little like fly things what those are and then there's also like a forest scape on the front and around the back of just like black trees it's it's really pretty it's a very striking book it's funny you mention that because there's there's things about the the jacket of the book that's kind of very old style like the bordering yeah but we've had a series of really great covers recently yeah and i found this one to be a little bit uh forgettable to be honest oh i really like it and i think part of it is just because i really like the color of it it's not very pretty naked it's oh it's okay naked and we said it's a slow burn but this isn't really gonna take up a lot of your time it's like 350 something pages oh yeah 62 pages it's not not a super long book. Um, one thing that I really liked about reading, uh, at least this edition, I'm assuming they're all the same, is uh, this book was, oh, a, a note about the type mm-hmm. in the back. This book was set in Castlin, a typeface first designed in 1722 by William Castlin. Its widespread use by most English printers in the early 18th century soon supplanted the Dutch typefaces that are formally prevailed. The Roman is considered a workhorse typeface due to its pleasant open appearance, while the italic is exceedingly decorative. And I I loved the typeface for this book. I felt it was obviously deliberate, and it was just really well thought out to put the book in this typeface. And I think that's something that, like, with a physical book always helps me when there's a really deliberate typeface. Um, and there's also these wonderful little uh, title cards at every chapter, and they're like like a little black sign with some scroll work, and they just look like you're reading some sort of pulp western from like back in the day, like from way back in the day. <laughs> I wish more books did that where they explained their choice for the typeface. One of the one of the more fascinating conversations that I followed on book Twitter before I kind of you know before we kind of disappeared from that platform was authors talking about the typeface that they that they type in that they edit in that they print in and the reasons why they do it i really i really like that that deeper that deeper study into yeah. those decisions yeah it's it's a cool art form and it just really helps enrich the book like if you're reading a physical book like to know like wow this is all so deliberately thought out but i love those title cards they're great title chapters too again very pulpy and i have to say uh just like I listened to half the book and, and read half the book, I 
when I read the book, half of it was with the physical copy, half of it was on the Kindle. You were just all over the place. I was all over the place. I have to say it is a very nice typeface. It's very pleasant. <laughs> I, I feel like we've talked a lot about the type of the book, which is very mm-hmm. sad because the book is is an interesting discussion itself. It's great. It definitely, you know, you need spoilers. So we're going to get to that pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. And this book is not super new. So some of you may have read it. You could probably find this like used pretty cheap too if you need to go that route. So it's a, a little bit nice. You know, everything doesn't always have to be brand, brand new. It can be just, you know, you're finally getting around to it. And I know some of our listeners like to get books used or from their library, which is wonderful. And so you don't always want to get like brand new book. Scott, can your chair make any more noise? I know, right? Can just make a little bit more noise. Oh, I don't think I can no. make more noise if I no. tried. I think I think that's it. <laughs> I think that's all the noise. Um, okay, what more can I kind of say in a non-spoilery capacity for this book? I just I think that if you're inter- if you like interesting and quirky characters mm-hmm. put in very unnatural situations and yeah. a, a sense of of dread, yeah, then this is a good book for you. Scott does not have a huge huge fear of burying buried alive. Like he is kind of like like everybody kind of does in their lizard brain. I have a fear of small spaces. Yes, he is afraid of. Um, of he's claustrophobic. Called claustrophobia. Yeah. Yeah. So very much so. I was like, oh, I wonder how this book will feel for him. Mine is more about crowds though. Ah. Like feeling like I can't get out of a crowd. That's my real thing. I don't know. It I've might seen, might be a different fear. I've seen you in some small spaces and you don't love it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of elevators and things like that. No. Nah, you just don't like any small spaces <laughs> at all. Um, no, beautiful characters, wonderfully written, kind of a throwbackish sort of novel, but at the same time it feels very fresh and it's very much his own thing even though we're referencing you know kind of older books and you know like like i said like pulp western and all these other great authors it is decidedly his own voice though it's very unique it, incredibly unique and again a lot more female empowerment than a lot of those authors that we named and loved have done in the past too absolutely yeah i'm all about those female presidents and that there's bad women out on the trail bad women bad men and being uh bad beings creatures let us say (laughs) uh so i guess we'll talk about who we think this book appeals to and then move on into spoilers yeah let's do it so uh i'll let you go first okay um I think that this has a broad appeal. Uh, I think there's a lot to be interested in here. It's a Western, a mystery, supernatural horror. It's a little weird. And I mean that in a good way, but that can be off-putting for some people, which is why I'm not going mass. I don't think this is the bird box uh, level of appeal. But I I think it's really much more than just a genre book. And I think for that reason, it has a broad appeal. I agree, actually. I think Broad is pretty good because um, it dips its toes into a lot of different subgenres and it has a really just beautiful, bleak, but at the same time, descriptive, uh, poetic kind of prose. Like I said, there's just there's some turns of phrase that he uses in this book that just like sticks in your mind. And most of them are grotesque. Um morbid phrases and there's also some dark humor too so yeah i'm gonna agree broad broad appeal all right without further ado we're gonna take a little break thank you for joining us we hope that you've read unbury carol and you'll stick around for the spoilers if not go read this book and then come talk to us 
enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the spoiler section. So here we go. Oh, my God. I love this book. And I forgot to say in the first part, there's magic. There's um stage magic. There's stage magic. A yeah. lot of stage magic. It seems Ronaldo. like that's, that's kind of a theme. <laughs> um, Which I really love. I love magic. I love magic, you guys. Like, if there's some place, I think I've said this on the show before, and there's like a strolling magician doing tricks, I lose my mind. If we're watching one of those stupid reality shows where people have talents and there's a magician i'm like enwrapped i love them i love magicians so much um and there's some fun prestidigitation going on here i mean there's some supernatural stuff but i mean there's some fun magic and i really like that like the trick in general and then of course we learn how he did the trick in aberstown when he does it to dwight even better we we do learn about that. Um, I, I guess we'll just go straight into that. Did you feel that that cheapened it a little bit? No, because I needed to know how the trick was done. I kind of didn't. I kind of didn't want to know. No, I needed to know. I needed to know. I had to know. At one point, I was going to, at some point in the book, I made peace with it. And I was like, Sandra, you might not know how the trick was done. But then I was like, no, I need to know because it wasn't real magic. And he's very much like, it's not a big deal. It's just like a thing I did. See, and for me, I was kind of thinking it was real magic because there are, this book, this book, <sighs> It's kind of confusing in that there's so much of it that's like, it's not real magic, it's parlor tricks. Yeah. And then you have the rot. Oh, and you also- supernatural being. Yeah, and you also have her- Howltown. Howltown and her comas, which are- Supernatural. Pretty supernatural. Yeah. I mean, you don't really live breathing one one time a minute. That That's not something that you can actually live with. So right. it has a supernatural element to it as well. So I felt confused by the book in having- so much of it be parlor tricks and explained away as that, and then also having the supernatural oh, in it. See, I it felt inconsistent. That. No, no, I totally disagree about inconsistent. I think that's what made the book rich is that this world, those things exist side by side, but the the fantasy magic, like people don't really experience that on the day to day. So. It, it makes the legend of him even better. Um, no, I loved that it was like the supernatural stuff and the real thing. I, I thought that was brilliant. And I thought that was so fun because I've spent so long thinking about how he pulled off the trick in Aberstown. And then when he uses it to exact revenge on Dwight, oh my God, so poetically, just tosses him the bell and he... Dwight, you idiot. I do like that both he and Smoke yeah. are not your typical trigger men. They're not your typical outlaws. No, because that would make it boring. At, at sun, at, you know, at sunset. It, yeah. They both they both uh, utilize tricks yes. to to get away with things. And I mean, who would have thought of having a person who has no legs below the knees that fills them with oil and is an arsonist? Like, that is insane. He is a crazy character great i would never have been able to come up with him and he and he is the one i referenced earlier that is straight out of a carl hyacin novel because he's he's nuts in a very funny way 
Yeah. And it, it's definitely implied in the book, but in the audiobook, he reads him with this hilarious, like, Irish broguish accent. Because he's always doing his little songs. Yes. And yeah. he sings them and it's like, you're you're crazy. Well, and like, and I love it. And like for most of the book, he's running around with his hair half cut. Yes. Like, I mean, he just looks insane. And he's on these, you know, legs that are not real and they're probably not great quality and he's just kind of rickety and walking around strangely and people are like, what is this guy about? Out. And he's not a rapist, and he's not like a lot of the typical kind of, I don't know, things you'd think of. He's just a firebug. He, yeah, he's just an arson, well, and a sociopath. He has no, yes. no regard for living things. But um, yeah, great villain. Dwight is more your, like, Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. His, so yeah. so his parts were were the parts that were very much Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. That kind of wow, this is just not a good person. Yes. Um who has a very simple and seemingly seemingly just just basic and uh, an unrealistic view of how he should be treated or how he should be seen. Yeah, he married this woman for her money. She's beloved and he hates that she's beloved and that she has money. Yeah. And it's like, it's so it's so weird because it's like, y- you shouldn't have married her then because like, <laughs> those are two really important things. Um, as we're going through the villains too, I, I'm, I mean, I was just really happy to see Dwight get his comeuppance. I thought yeah. he was so disgusting and a coward at the same time, like how mm-hmm. he couldn't smother her and stuff. Uh, Lafayette. Lafayette was a good character, and I yeah. thought Lafayette might be rot for a while. Um, I'm not. I I didn't think they were, but I think Lafayette is interesting because she's kind of like a gangster, yeah, in a way, and she has her, you know, her fingers in so many pies all along the trail, and it's like you want something like dirty deeds done dirt cheap, like you go to her. Um. And what a great death when Farah yes. got her because she underestimated Farah. I was glad to see Farah actually get some. Another kick-ass yeah. girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's actually one of my favorite lines in the book when I was talking about those poetic, grotesque lines. Um so the blade shimmered in the sunlight and Lafayette gasped and believed Farrah missed her. She opened her mouth to say something like, you're quick, but her throat wouldn't let her. She brought her hands to her neck and observed in wide shock as the color red ran down the length of her fingers. She looked down at her shirt and saw blood like a baby's bib covered in lobster sauce. <laughs> I mean, like, she just slit that woman's throat so quick because she's, you know, she's little and she's cowering. And it's like, oh, my God, Farah, she's a sweetheart. She's not going to do this. And that's what Lafayette thought, too. She's like, mm, I'm going to be able to get this girl. And no, she grabbed that razor blade and took care of things. Mallerman had a lot of fun writing just grandiose language, yeah. both in just his descriptions and especially in the dialogue. Some of those yes. characters are just very verbose. So we're going to talk about the good guys in a minute, but we have one more villain to talk about, which is Rot. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to have to let you kind of take over because I'll be honest, I don't understand. Okay. The Rot gets us into like some almost magical realism kind of territory. Uh, I love Rot. I heart Rot. Like if I could have a shirt that said I heart Rot, he's horrifying. He's, they, they mostly call him he, but it's like, you know, Rot is not like a guy in a traditional sense. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. It's a, it's an elemental being. It's yes. A, um, eldritch almost. Yeah. 
and it's out there on the trail and it likes to mess with people. And then somehow it finds its way into Carol's situation and is like, oh, this is great. This is like a field day for Rot. So Rot wants you to know your mortality, wants you to feel paranoid, afraid, hopeless, um, that the situation you're in is beyond reprieve because, you know, all living things, we die, we rot. And you can't escape rot because I feel like to use death is like a little it's done. Yeah. And I'm not like opposed to like death being a character or a bad guy in a book, but you don't think of rot as much because rot can get into you in so many ways like it does in this story. Yeah, because rot is not just death. Yeah. As it, it, you know, in many of his monologues, he talks about how he's just the, he's just, he's just, the, he's just rot. He's just the but destruction he's kind of, of morals. He's the, he's kind of a, a chaos guy too, in a way. Like he just wants to ruin things literally with his <laughs> rottenness and he wants to ruin people and he wants to break their spirit. And there's one point, you know, in the carriage where Carol sees him and he thinks no one's looking and he just looks depressed. And it's like, oh, that's what things like rot look like when they think no one's looking. And it's a really deep thought of like, this is why this thing exists is to do this. But deep down, it's probably just a sad, broken creature like everything else. But um, he goes to quite some lengths to make uh, especially Moxie feel absolutely horrible about what he's done. Um, but, you know, rot doesn't work out for you, buddy. <laughs> well, there's something about rot having its fingers in so much of what what has happened in both the past Doctor, and what is currently happening. Dr. Alex Wolf. Well, yes. Yeah. But, you know, he had a hand in a lot of the characters' decisions, yeah. starting from Moxie leaving Carol. Yep, that was Rod. He, he, had a, he had a hand in the decision that Dwight made to bury Carol. And he talks to Carol in Halltown. That's kind of what I mean where I'm a little bit confused by the purpose of Rot because there's so many parts of the story that's built around character decisions and motivations. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the supernatural force is really what drove so much of what really happened in this book. Yeah. That it felt it felt inconsistent as far as what Mallerman intended. Oh man. And I I guess I just don't get why it's confusing for you because I I love it so much. Oh I'm I know you do. And yeah. I, and I knew you would and, and I love I love the idea of rot. I love that that concept. Mm -hmm. I just felt that the concept of rot mm -hmm. and the concept of this story didn't necessarily mesh together as well. In your opinion. In my opinion, yeah. I I I didn't feel that it worked. Gosh, and I think that's what, what elevated the horror in this book. And and a part of it is because I loved so I loved all of the other characters so much. Yeah. That that it just seemed like a distraction. Do you like poor little Rot? I, I liked Rot <laughs> fine in uh in a different story. You know what? It's okay, Rot. You can come sit next to me. I like you. I thought I thought the supernatural elements were great. Rot, you can sit with me. <laughs> um so I, I and that was one of my favorite things that Rot did was show up as Dr. Alex Wolf and just the shock of Dwight like losing his mind slowly, especially when he's like, I made this character up. How did it come? <laughs> and how did it come? Who or what did it? Like, is this a Lafayette thing? And it's like, no, no, this no, is rot. No. 
<laughs> um, and it because it just wanted to keep this going. It was really like, ooh, I gotta, I can't. It's like it didn't want to fail. Rot didn't want to fail. He's like, you know, I set up this whole thing with James Moxie and ruined his life, and I'm not gonna like give up. Like I did this. I planted this seed. And Carol is the antithesis to rot. She yeah. dies constantly, but never rots. Yeah, and that's the difference. Back. Yeah. Let's talk about Howltown. A wonderful, scary place. And I love all of her conversations with Hattie, her mom, and also which we'll get to Hattie later. That was my boof. That's like the best part. Uh, but and her friend John Bowie, who was a great character, though we met him in flashbacks. That Howltown is a place. And it's not. It's a wonderful concept of like, it's this place where Carol goes without going anywhere. And it's a big concept. And it says at the bottom of the description in the book jacket, this is a reimagining of Sleeping Beauty. Oh. And you can kind of see that. Because Sleeping Beauty kind of did the same thing. She did? Well, she wasn't like really asleep. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, so I thought that was really, really fascinating. And though she's tried so hard her whole life, it wasn't until she's a grown lady in this situation that she is finally able to make some strides in Howltown. And it's a very self-rescuing princess thing, uh, which is cool. Like, and they indicate that in the book jacket as well, that it's not going to be the prince riding in to save her, though he does. Yes. But she saved herself and Farah helped and Hattie helped. Her mother kind of saved her, too. She did, but at the same time, I don't think Carol would have kept her wherewithal and gotten to the point where... Because she was still, like, in Howltown. Yes. To be able to move and to press the button. So, at that point, like, so we're going to get to Hattie. I loved all the flashbacks to Hattie. And I love that she didn't always call her mom. She called her Hattie. I like stuff like that. I don't know. And that that letter that was from Hattie's will and that she perfected it. She perfected the box, the trick. And she said she was going to do. And, uh, you know, if she dies, that is what she has to be buried in. And she set that up. And it's kind of fun because we know that Rot's messed around a little bit. So we think, oh, this coffin could be from Rot. And it's not. And it's from her mother. And it's like one last love letter from her mom that she did this for her kid. And it made me cry. I loved it. I just thought it was so brilliant and a, a wonderful trick. It was a really neat trick. And I, I struggled with the idea at first. When I first, when it, when it first happened, I was like, well, that's kind of a deus ex machina that didn't need to exist. But then I realized there's so much of this book that's built around tricks and engineering and mm-hmm. and surprises. And when I thought of it that way, like it was really the simplest like a, thing. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And it was really just a split second like, oh, well, this is actually this makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just the simplest things are the solution. And I really liked that. I thought that was brilliant. So let's talk a little bit about Carol. Um, we already spoke a little bit on her. She's a cool chick. She she went for the wrong guy after James was a fool and a coward. But she ended up marrying this guy who's really a loser. But um, I like that she was like a calm, strong presence. Um, she was admired in the town. And... I don't know. There's just something about Carol. And as we go with her on the journey, that we learn her strength along with her. Uh, And throughout the book, 
like it references her intelligence a lot, which I thought was really cool. But um, yeah, so that by the end of it, you know, you're like really rooting for her. And of course, that moment where she sits up and I mean, it's quick, <laughs> but I mean, like, because you, you, we start out the book like, oh, you can't move in Haltong. You can't you can't do anything. And then it's like, Rot stupidly flips her over. And that's when she realized, well, that's why I can not see anything. So I've always been face down. Yeah. All I had to do was turn over. And now I can see myself. I can see what's around me and I can actually take some some movement. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. It Brilliant, was, Carol. Good job saving yourself, girlfriend. I liked Howelltown a lot. It was probably it was one of my yes. favorite parts about it and just her experience and discovery within it. Yeah, it's a cool big concept that is a little bit hard to explain. You just and as you read the book, you get more of a feel for what Howelltown is. Um so, of course, there's James Moxie. I would read a whole series about James Moxie. I want to hear about everything that happened in the decade that he was gone. Oh, and everything with uh, Jefferson. Yeah. Oh, I love Jefferson. Yeah, I was I mean, very sad about that. I was so mad. He's a writer and a reader. And I just, I love that. I love that that part of the book, right before the poor man died, cuts off as he just wrote out how the trick worked. Um, but James Moxie is a wonderful archetypal, you know, cowboy figure, strong, silent, stoic type. But at the same time, like all of those characters probably did, he has a soft underbelly. It was kind of implied that he had only really ever killed the one person in like, doing the trick. They did a lot of thieving. It yes. Like. Oh, it's not like it's the only time he broke the law. Yeah. But the only time he, he killed some until he killed Dwight, it seemed like it might have actually been... What was that, Daniel Proud? Yes. Who was not a good guy. No, he was not. Who deserved it? <laughs> he did. But, um... I, I, you know, and that he knew he he did bad, and he lived with this goat for so long, and that's why Rot was able to get in. But that he he really is sweet, and he's never stopped loving Carol, and she's never stopped loving him. And it's kind of beautiful how the book ends without them, you know, rushing off to get married and kissing. He brings her the fly, the owl fly, like telling her, like, okay, I'm in, and she is like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, but it's gonna be Take slow. Take a little bit of time, yeah. Because, she, you know, he wrecked her after she had told him the most vulnerable thing that is like a responsibility he kind of has to be a part of, and he ditched her. I think she should end up with Sheriff Opal. No, she I don't loves know. I don't James Moxie. No, Sheriff Opal is a great character, though. Just the way and that Manders. he thinks through. Th- yeah, but the way that he thinks through things and the way that he reads people and he yeah. investigates people, real, just a real sharp guy, really really fun to read yes I, I didn't i didn't think about him but he's he's just a really good character as well i was so happy that ronaldo didn't die me too that was a and big then surprise he went and got me. to work with his hero yes he got to do a trick with his hero a good trick too it he was did, a good trick. he did a couple good tricks ronaldo did but um yeah i love that james moxie could have been so flat so two-dimensional and boring and it turns out he actually wasn't he had more going on than that and i do love that even though he was too little too late and the girls took care of it he still rode in there and you know the graveyard's going crazy rot's making him hallucinate but he and he's digging through and he breaks a casket that is unbreakable for you know he still did it because he loves her but uh sorry bro we got this (laughs) kind of cool definitely not the ending i think a lot of authors would have gone it wasn't what i was expecting uh in either direction 
Yeah. I, I thought they would either they, they would either succeed and be happily ever after or fail and be, you know, very sad. And it kind of ne- was neither. Yeah. I mean, they succeeded, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, like happy, happily ever after afterwards. No. And like she says in there, like, love's really complicated yeah. or something. And it's like, okay, that's fair. Like, we know they're going to be together, but they're taking a little time and he is giving her space to let himself be forgiven if she chooses. Like, he's not, like, forcing himself on her. Like, look, see how much I loved you and I went and did this whole thing? She knows that he loves her. Yeah. But he is trying to earn her trust back. It's like very adult fairy tale. <laughs> like, he- healthy, unproblematic way to, like, end Sleeping Beauty. Of, like, it's cool. Like, I don't own you because I, like, you know, did this thing. So I'm just I'm just going to go back to my garden and, um, you know, hopefully you'll call me. <laughs> and there is kind of a... There's kind of a level where at the end of the day, he wasn't needed. If he didn't show up, uh, yeah, Dwight would have been arrested as opposed to shot 10 times simultaneously. But brilliantly, she would have still gotten out because what would one of her best friends, her mm-hmm. her maid, maiden, maid, uh, well, yeah, Farrah, Farrah. Farrah, her her friend, yeah, helped save <laughs> her, friend her and employee, yeah. <laughs> And then he shows up kind of afterwards, yeah. like, oh, okay, you're The you're, point of him was alive. really just redemption yes. and love. And I, I kind of like that. I like that, you know, he proved himself by showing up. Yes. But he's not the one who saved her. It's like, if you want my forgiveness for something bad you did, you need to show me with your actions. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly what he did. Again, very unproblematic. Like, yeah. Like, why aren't more heroes just like this? But I don't know. Me too. I, yeah, I'd read a million books about him on the trail and where he's been the past 10 years. And I hope old girl's okay. I assume he went back for her to take her home with him. I love a horse. I'm a horse girl. Yeah. And she was a she was a good old girl. She was a good old girl. <laughs> she still is a good old girl. Yeah. She was like, dude, I don't think this is real. Should we like be going through here? And Moxie's like, yeah. Yeah, that's like totes Carol. And it's like, it's not. <laughs> old girl, I think, was like, nah, that's, that's not it. <laughs> All right. So I guess we could give our... Her execution. All right. Um, I am going to go first. Uh, I, there's a there's a bit of a connect that dots feeling to a lot of the story. It's it's this happens and this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but the characters are really good about it. But that that plot only really veers when the one supernatural force of the story rot integrates itself into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I kind of said, rot. I didn't really get that. I mean, I got the idea of that force, but I didn't get its existence in this story. And and I think it just kind of reduced the impact of character decisions that the characters that I really was so invested in. That's really what I was in for for this book. Um, I really enjoyed the book, and I wanna I wanna emphasize that. But ultimately, um, I'm gonna give it. Oh wait, what are we scoring it? I don't know. Um, I'm going to give it, uh, owl flies. Yeah. I'm going to get two and a half owl flies out of five. I feel like that is not enough owl flies. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm shooketh. Um, I really liked it. I just, yeah. I just am not scoring it very high. Cause I feel like it tripped up in a few places for me that just didn't, didn't, didn't work. Mm-hmm. 
Well, so I've kind of said it earlier on this podcast that I have my book to beat this year. That's been established for me. Mm-hmm. So everything that I'm reading, I am kind of comparing and contrasting it in my mind a little bit because that, which isn't fair. Like yeah. you can't compare those two books. But as far as like, you know, books that I'm obsessed with or like almost obsessed with, um, I mean, it's like, it's it's essentially five owlflies. Wow. Well, when you're obsessed with it, like, yeah. h- like what else are you to say? I mean, yeah, you could cut the cut the head off an owlfly. Sure, there's a little room, there's a little wiggle room. But I loved it, and I wouldn't change anything about it. I thought it was great, and it made me sad that it was done. I texted a whole bunch of people and told them this is a great book, and I want to buy it for you, and I want you to read it, especially my dad. Um, and- You'll love this book. Oh, yeah, totally. And I need more Western horror in my life. Uh, I love horror books and movies and TV shows set in the past. And this was no exception. Great book. Loved it. Well, all right, then. And I see you sitting over there in the corner, Rot. I'm sorry Scott said all these things about you. (laughs) All right, everybody. We're not done with spooky season books. We got another little trick up our sleeves. Yes, we do. Look forward to us in just about a week. Yeah. And until then, everybody, please keep reading past your bedtime.